pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. With the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. A so-called Good Samaritan seemingly risks his own life to save other people on a subway. And now he is being prosecuted for homicide. What really happened on that subway? I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. First of all, take a listen to our friends at ABC 7. In this Citizen App video, police were told the man who died was harassing passengers and making threats. That's when a 24-year-old man stepped in and attempted to subdue the man. A physical struggle ensued, leading to the older man losing consciousness. He was rushed to Lenox Hill Hospital, where he was later pronounced dead. The 24-year-old subway rider was questioned by detectives and release pending additional investigation and an autopsy. What really happened uh, when one man loses his life and another man, seemingly a good Samaritan, faces many years behind bars? With me, an all-star panel to make sense of what we know right now. But first of all, let's go straight out to New York reporter with the New York Daily News.com, Janan Fisher. Janan, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Janan, what's your understanding of what happened on that subway? So uh, it was on May 1st. It was a Monday uh, around 2.30 uh, on the F train that uh, Jordan Neely, who is a homeless man with a history of uh, mental illness, uh, got on the train at, at, at the 2nd Avenue stop, uh, 
wrote it one stop. Well, hold on. Whoa, 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 wait, wait. Well, let me understand something. Guys, with me from the New York Daily News, Janan Fisher. Janan, when you're saying 2nd Avenue, where on 2nd Avenue did he hop the subway? I'm sorry. Yeah, this is in Manhattan. This is uh, in down, downtown Manhattan in New York City. Uh, Your crossing would be 2nd what? Uh, it was 2nd uh, Avenue, and I guess uh, Houston is where the uh, subway stop is. Not too far at all from NYU, um, the village. So potentially on this train would be, I guess, students in the middle of the workday, people going back and forth. Uh, the the city so so congested with traffic. Sometimes the only way to get back and forth and make it on time is a subway. Uh, I've often joked with my husband and my children: Should we walk or do we have time to take a cab? In other words, the traffic is so bad; it's faster to just walk wherever you've got to go. Uh, even if it's sometimes a couple of miles to get there because traffic is just totally stopped. So at that particular hop, how close is that? Let me think, Houston. What is around that hop right there? Uh, you know, let me see. That's, uh, there's uh, some restaurants, uh, you know, a barbershop, hardware store. There's, uh, I think, uh, Katz's Deli isn't too far from there. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, there are some, uh, you know, bars and restaurants. It's, you know, it's a residential area. Well, I mean, when you say Katz's Deli, that says it all. Because I would totally catch a subway <laughs> to get to Katz's Deli. Um, having gone to NYU, I've been at that stop many, many times. Getting from, let's see, at that time, I was at Court TV and HLN. And no, just at Court TV at that point, And would take the subway all the way down to my law classes at NYU. So I'm trying to imagine who all was on on the subway at that moment. Um, okay, I, I'm getting a picture. Go, go ahead, dear. Right. So, yeah, it's hardly rush hour, but, you know, it's, it's getting there. And uh, so... Mr. Neely, who is a, a busker, homeless man, uh, you know, with mental health problems, uh, he uh, he often impersonated Michael Jackson in, in 42nd Street in the subway station for for loose change uh, from tourists and, and commuters. Uh, he gets on the subway stop at at Second Avenue, and according to witnesses, he becomes uh, you know alarmed. He is starting to rant. Uh, he throws his Michael Jackson jacket down on the floor. He says he's hungry, uh, you know, that he's tired. He doesn't care uh, anymore. He'll go to jail. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, Janan. Yes, ma'am. You're just giving me so much information. It's, again, drinking from the fire hydrant. Too much, too fast. Let me understand. So I'll slow down. <laughs> you've got a guy with, uh, I think, 44 priors on his criminal history, and he takes off his jacket, throws it down, and says he's ready to die? That's according to witnesses, yes. Okay. Go ahead. Then what happens? So, uh, you know, other, uh, you know, according to uh, Daily News reporting, you know, the MTA recorded that people believed that there was a guy with a knife on the train, there was a guy with a gun on the train, that there was a that there was a danger. Wait, people are starting to call MTA, Metro Transit, what does it stand for? Authority? Yeah, yeah, Metropolitan Transportation Authority. Yeah. So people on the subway, trapped on the subway, you can't get off. Right. 
are calling, I guess, calling from the emergency phone that's there on the subway? I think they're letting the conductor know who's on the train with them uh, that there that there's a danger on the train. Did any train personnel come help? Uh, no, they're, they're, you know, they're trained not to, you know, to call the authorities, not to intervene in those uh, situations. Okay, wait, 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 wait. So people are afraid and they're calling MTA, Metropolitan Transit Authority, asking for help. They think the guy has a knife or a gun. He says he doesn't care if he dies. He's sick of it. He's had it. And they, MTA, are trained not to intervene. Well, they're calling, they call the police and they, you know, and the police, the, you know, the properly trained uh, police would, would intervene in that situation. So, you know, the, the, the distance between Second Avenue and uh, Broadway Lafayette, you know, we're talking about, you know, 30, 40 seconds, uh, 45 seconds, maybe a minute to between train stops. Now, you know, I've never seen 45 seconds between one stop and another stop. Pretty quick uh, stop. Less than one minute between stops, because in all my years of taking the New York subways, I've never gotten from one stop to the next in 45 seconds. That quickly. <laughs> Has anybody on this panel got between one stop and another stop on a New York subway in less than a minute? Never. Okay. Never. No. In my life. Never. Never. <laughs> Two minutes is, is Wait, probably do you want to rethink that answer? I just love saying that when people are on the stand. Would you like a moment to rethink that answer, Janan Fisher? 45 seconds between stops? Uh, I've not timed it, but, uh, you know, I, I, it's a very quick stop. Well, I can guarantee you it's not 45 seconds between stops. That's not happening. And very quickly, don't go anywhere, Jaden. I'm here. Believe it or not, I agree with everything you've said except that 45-second thing. Hold on. Dr. Bill Smock with me, forensic medical specialist, police surgeon for the Louisville Metro PD, medical director for the Training Institute on Strangulation Prevention. Good gravy, man. <laughs> Do you ever sleep? Dr. Smock, how long does it take to asphyxiate someone? Strangle, hang, smother. How long does it take till you're dead? Well, there's a well-known progression. After you apply pressure to the carotid arteries, things begin to happen. You are unconscious in less than 10 seconds. And because the cells of the brain have no oxygen reserve, they die every second they continue to go without oxygen. We know from videotapes that you will go unconscious in that less than 10 second period and stop breathing somewhere between one and two and a half minutes of pressure on the neck, blocking the carotid arteries. You know, Dr. Smock, that was brilliant the way you did that because you could have just said two minutes, but the way you led me up to it, I didn't even want to interrupt. Okay, two minutes, two and a half minutes max. Um, yeah, somewhere between one and two and a half minutes, you will stop breathing. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. 
Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. stories with Nancy Grace. Duncan Levin is joining me, former federal prosecutor, now managing partner at Levin and Associates. Duncan, thank you for being with us. Nice to be with you, Nancy. Duncan, um, do you have children? I do. How many? Three of them, little ones. Boy, girl, what? Got two girls and a, and a boy. So, and, but, and they're starting to ride the subway. So they're out there in New York. Ages? My youngest is seven, and then I have a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. What would you do if a guy, clearly out of his mind, takes off his jacket, throws it down, becomes erratic, you feel threatened, you've got your 7-year-old, your 12-year-old, and your 14-year-old with you? What would you do? Would you call MTA and hope that maybe they'd break their policy and come help? And that's the thing that everybody has to keep in mind here. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Duncan Levin. <laughs> this is why you're such a good trial lawyer. Look here, not here. <laughs> what would you do? I mean, because I'd tear him apart, I would go down swinging. Bam. If he, anybody got close to John, David, or Lucy, it's over. Well, I, I think that, that that's right. But the question is that we weren't there. And, and so that is what these charges are going to be about is, is, and, and what this case is about is whether um, uh, that was the right decision to make in the time. Only he knows he was there and there were witnesses there. Okay. I can see where you're going with this, Duncan Levin, and that's why you win so many cases. Did you notice he did not answer? <laughs> Just for the record, did not answer. So, Jane and Fisher, back to you, you poor thing. I'm back on you now. Jane, what do the witnesses not the Marine, Daniel Penny, what do the other witnesses say happened? Well, you know, the, the accounts vary, obviously. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, that some people said he had a knife. Some people said he had a gun. That's what the, the MTA recorded. Oh, I'm so glad they sat behind their desks and recorded it all. And did nothing. But that said, go ahead. Right. So there was a freelance journalist there that recorded the aftermath and his account that he posted on Facebook was that he didn't feel like that this 
man was a true danger. So accounts vary, but there's definitely a, a, a you know, uh, indications that people were alarmed by Jordan Neely's behavior on that train, that he, there was a, a, you know, police sources said that he was throwing garbage, uh, you know, and that he was ranting, uh, you know, there, there's no report that he attacked anyone, he, you know, that has not come out, uh, that, you know, that uh, anyone uh, was confronted by him. Got another question for you. I'm looking at the video. I take it that's the one from Juan Alberto Vasquez. That's correct. I, I've been looking at that, and I see someone. Of course, I see Daniel Penny, and he has Jordan Neely in a chokehold. And I see another male wearing a black jacket with a white long sleeve shirt and a black band on one of his ring, his left ring finger, suggesting he may be married, also holding down Jordan Neely. He's not trying to pull Penny off Neely. He's trying to pull Neely's hands back. Who's that? that? I mean, we are not, we have not identified the other participants in the, you know, in, in the incident. Because I find that significant. It's not as if other subway riders are trying to pull Penny off. In fact, they're trying to hold Jordan Neely's arms down so he can't hit Penny. Has anybody noticed that? I mean, joining me is Wilbur Chapman, former NYPD deputy commissioner and former commissioner of the NYC Department of Transportation. Uh, commissioner, thank you for being with us. Have you noticed that this other guy? Oh, OK. Now I know I can see him in full. It's actually helping hold Neely back. And I see a guy standing over them in jeans and an army jacket, it looks like, or maybe a leather jacket and a backpack. Nobody is seemingly asking or saying, stop, stop, stop. You can't breathe. What's ha- what do you see when you look at this video, Deputy Chapman? It, it's interesting that you have three individuals subduing one and two of them uh, clearly uh, were not detained or questioned by the police to find out exactly what their perspective on this incident was. Uh, you would you could deduce from that that uh, Mr. Neely was putting up quite a bit of resistance or was in the process of threatening, although the, we don't have any information that says he physically attacked anyone, which would justify the use of the physical force against him. Guys, um, let's hear more from our friends at PIX11. The suspect's lawyers told us in a statement, quote, when Mr. Penny, a decorated Marine veteran, stepped in to protect himself and fellow New Yorkers, his well-being was not assured. He risked his own life and safety for the good of his fellow passengers. The unfortunate result was the unintended and unforeseen death of Mr. Neely. We're confident once the facts are out, Mr. Penny will be fully absolved of any wrongdoing. We know that chokehold went on for two minutes and five seconds. Uh, which is exactly what Dr. Bill Smott was describing. Now, we've just heard about Daniel Penny's background. I understand he's a decorated Marine veteran. Jamin Fisher, why was he decorated? Uh, you know, he had done uh, one tour in the Marine Corps. He, had, uh, he was overseas, um, and he did a tour, uh, you know, uh, you know, um, Right. In the Marines, uh, I think it was for, let me see, National Defense Service Medal, Global War on Terrorism, and 
He got the Marine Corps Good Conduct Medal. I thought he was deployed twice, but I'll, I'll find that out right now. Okay, that's what we know about him, Jane and Fisher. What do we know about the deceased? Jordan Neely taking a listen to Anthony DeLorenzo. Neely, who was homeless and suffering from mental illness, was allegedly agitating fellow riders on May 1st. That's when Penny took him to the floor for as long as 15 minutes. 30-year-old's death was caught on camera, raising an uproar from the mayor to some police and community activists. Though one criminal defense attorney thinks the DA was forced to cave to political pressure. This is a political hot potato. There are people on both sides of this that are upset about what's going on here. And the obvious solution here was to present it to a grand jury, present all of it. Every witness, uh, every possible charge, including justification, invite Mr. Penny to testify. And instead, they've just charged him, which, you know, at this point, Alvin Bragg owns this. Let me understand then what happened to Jaden Fisher. Did this go to a grand jury? Not yet. It has not gone to a grand jury yet. Haven't charges come down? Yes. The, they've arrested him uh, on charges. Uh, that's correct. Okay, guys, take a listen to Derek Waller. Police say the man who was killed actually had 44 prior arrests and, in fact, was uh, p- potentially harassing people at the time of his death. And uh, we can show you this uh, map. It happened Monday afternoon here at the Broadway Lafayette subway station with service for the BDF and M train. Neely was a subway performer. He also had a history of mental illness. According to witnesses, the day of his death, Neely was acting erratically and harassing passengers when police got the initial 911 call. Video shows a 24-year-old Marine veteran holding Neely in a chokehold while other subway riders restrained him before he died. Police did question the Marine seen in the video and released him without charges. So when police question Penny, they decide to release him without charges. So what more do we know about Daniel Penny? What can we uncover? Take a listen to our friends at CrimeOnline.com. Daniel Penny grew up in a middle-class family as the only boy in a family of girls. Penny and his three sisters grew up in a three-bedroom house in West Islip on Long Island. Childhood friends say the Penny household had an open-door policy, welcoming all. The boys played basketball and hung out at the mall. Penny was a star lacrosse player at West Islip High School. In 2015, he earned an MVP award during the annual Dan Daly Cup competition. Right after graduation, Penny joined the Marines. He served for four years, deployed twice, and rose to the rank of sergeant. Penny was honorably discharged in 2021. You know one thing I don't want to hear to Dr. John Delatore, licensed psychologist and mediator specializing in forensic psychology, and you can find him at Dr. John Delatore. Dr. Delatore, what I don't want to hear in an investigation, a criminal investigation, are the two words, political hot potato. I guess that's three words because that has nothing to do with the evidence, does it? No, it's not supposed to. And I think that's the, the, the crux of the issue is that it appears as though there is a lot of politics being played on the ancillary aspect of these things, whether it's mental illness or it's veteran issues, whether it's safety, all of these things are forcing our uh, law enforcement officials to engage in necessary sort of face covering sort of, sort of necessary CYA because of the political pressures that are being forced upon them. Our justice system is not supposed to be influenced by politics. 
but it very often is. You know what's very disturbing to me, Duncan Levin? Uh, Duncan, former federal prosecutor and managing partner, Levin & Associates, is that for some reason the district attorney, Bragg, skipped the grand jury. Yeah, it's something that doesn't happen in every single case. But in this particular case, um, it's really on the line. And I think he wants to get more evidence before figuring out definitively how to how to go on this and what the ultimate charges are right now. I think we need to explain why that's so unusual. You say it's rare. I never prosecuted a single case ever in two years as a Fed and 10 years as a felony prosecutor in Superior Court. Never ever prosecuted a case that a grand jury had not handed down a true bill. I didn't just go, hey, Jackie, I think you committed a crime. I'm just going to get my pen and paper, and I'm drawing up an indictment, and then I'm going to prosecute you. That never happened. And I'm curious why the district attorney chose not to take this to a group in a grand jury for them to decide if there should be a formal charge. Does that bother anybody other than me? I mean, regardless of what a grand jury would have done, indict or no indict, why skip a procedural step in prosecuting this guy? So it's it's unusual, but it's not unheard of. There are cases that proceed this way. Like what? Well, there are cases where they start prosecuting it in the New York City Criminal Court and let it pend there. Um, not enough grand jury space for everything. That's not the case with this case. This is a high-profile case. I mean, can you name one case, Duncan? You say that it happened. When did it happen? It happens in more routine cases regularly because people are arrested on felony complaints that it's not enough time to get grand jury time to have everything indicted. On a homicide case? Have you seen it happen on a homicide case? I think it happens on probably a majority of homicide cases in New York City. Can you name one? Well, I'm not in criminal court every day, but it, I bet if you sat there enough of the day, you'd see homicide cases come through that have not been indicted. Usually cases are indicted before there's an arrest and then they arrest them, or if there's an arrest, they're indicted at some point after the arrest. So it's not it's not usual in New York City criminal court to have a case proceed. In your expertise as a former federal prosecutor, did you prosecute cases without a grand jury indictment? I was a New York State prosecutor at the Manhattan DA's office for many years as well, and I arranged tons of murder cases that came through that had not been indicted yet. So it's that is not that unusual per se. Can you remember any particular one, like a name? No. I'm just thinking through why... In a homicide case, and a homicide case that has garnered this much attention, just to top it off, did the elected DA choose not to use a grand jury? I find that very, very disturbing. But that said, now we find out more about the case. It all seemingly hinges on what the medical examiner says. Take a listen to our friends at ABC7. Key here now is the Emmys report. Former NYPD Chief of Detectives Robert Boyce says the 24-year-old man who subdued him may have indeed been defending himself and others, but there are other factors. How long was was the actual hold? Was the neck compression? That's going to be. Was he screaming, let me go, let me go? All these things will go into that determination. A determination of whether or not he made the right call, which ended up costing someone's life. The safest thing to do was call 911 if you can down there or find an officer nearby. However, save that those two instances 
if there's an immediate need to help someone, you do it. I mean, that's heroic, but that's really scary on the same part. Like, you cannot just jump in and be a good Samaritan because good Samaritans often wind up being hurt themselves. Okay. I'm just trying to take in what I'm hearing. Did he actually say... The safest thing to do is call 911 to Wilbur Chapman. Is he serious? You're on the subway. You feel threatened. You call 911. 911 can't get there. The transit authority's not going to do anything. That's their procedure. They're not going to help. So why did he even say call 911? Uh, that's, a, that's a question for retired chief boys. I, I don't quite understand that. If, they, if there's imminent need to prevent someone from being harmed and you're taking that appropriate action, of course, there's going to be consequences for it, if there, you know, as there are in this particular case. But certainly the, the protection of life is, is a lot greater than the need to call 911. There are certain problems with communications underground with police deployment, and the amount of time it takes for someone to rescue you. Uh, you. You've been talking about people's family members. If my family members were in danger, I would certainly take action and then worry about what the consequences are later. This is probably what's happened in this case. Uh, it, it's a perfect storm of unfortunate circumstances. Uh, Mr. Neely should not have been out in the subway. The system failed him. And now Mr. Penny takes action, and as a result of that, there's an unfortunate death for which he must be charged. So really, there's no winners in this, and certainly calling 911, it might have exacerbated the situation, and you might have had uh, more loss of life, or possibly the people who, who were felt that they were in danger might have actually been in danger. You know, uh, to Jane and Fisher, joining us from NewYorkDailyNews.com, the I noticed that the Wall Street Journal referred to Neely as a, quote, obviously deranged man. Let me get their exact wording. When Daniel Penny stepped forward on a New York subway to protect his fellow commuters from an obviously deranged man, the former Marine sergeant could not have imagined two weeks later he would be perp-walked in handcuffs outside the 5th Precinct. Why are they saying he's an obviously deranged man? Jordan Neely had a history of mental illness. He was schizophrenic. His dad said that he had uh, autism. Uh, you know, he had led a, a rather tragic life. Uh, his mother was strangled to death, to death by her boyfriend in 2007 uh, when Jordan was, I think, 14 years old. Uh, the boyfriend uh, put his the mother in a suitcase and left her on the Henry Hudson Parkway uh, and continued to live with Jordan. Jordan uh, testified against the boyfriend in uh, the the trial, uh, you know, the criminal trial. I'm saying, why is he now obviously deranged, according to the Wall Street Journal? What was he doing that made him look obviously deranged? Or was he? Well, on the subway, it, it appears witnesses have said that he, you know, that he was threatening, that he was throwing garbage, uh, that he was erratic, unruly, uh, that, you know, that he, people felt, reported they felt threatened, they felt scared. Uh, you know, a woman motioned to her waistband and said she, that he had a gun. Uh, that These were reports that the MTA received about uh, what was going on in the subway car. I wonder, to Dr. John Delatore, psychologist specializing in forensic psychology, if there is a mindset that people are already afraid. They're already afraid of crime. 
They're afraid of what's going to happen to their families, to their children, to themselves. I mean, who's going to raise their children if they get killed on the subway? So they're in a climate of fear to start with. And then when Neely behaves erratically, they feel in danger. I mean, maybe somewhere, somewhere else, citizens wouldn't be, it wouldn't live in a climate of fear. They wouldn't be afraid they're going to die. But trapped in a subway car, dozens of feet below the surface, there's nobody to call. And if you did, they wouldn't come anyway. I do not find that uh, unreasonable, Nancy. I 100% agree with everything that you're saying. Society right now is feeding on fear and commoditizing anger. And so that when someone is acting out of their mind, right? And I have no idea what deranged means. I mean, I know technically it means mentally unsound, but I have no idea what the Wall Street Journal is trying to imply by saying what is going on with Jordan Neely, homelessness, probably drug use, untreated mental illness. These are all things that people just aren't used to seeing. And because of that, they otherize and they stigmatize that individual as being dangerous when the reality is, they're simply asking for help. I don't know. Was he dangerous? Because in my mind, it's not what the medical examiner says that's going to turn this case. It's, was Neely a threat? Did the people sitting around him feel threatened? And that is why I brought up these other two guys. They weren't trying to drag Daniel Penny off Neely. They were trying to help Penny subdue Neely. And that tells me a lot. It's not just Penny taking action against Neely. Does that make it right? I don't know. Does it make it wrong? I would have to find out exactly what Neely was doing. Did he pose a threat? Well, take a listen to Penny's lawyer speaking with our friends at The Five in Our Cut 23. Well, the mindset is pretty simple. Uh, he was fearful for the safety of those passengers. So when he acted, his mindset was to keep his fellow passengers safe from attack. Nearly entering the train and acting in a very violent manner, um, both physically and with words. He would say things to the effect that, um, you know, I need certain things, I need food, I need this or that, and if I don't get it, I don't care if I go to prison for the rest of my life. And the passengers actually have said that they interpreted that mean, well, when would you go to prison for the rest of your life if you kill somebody? So everybody got the message. There was a period of time where the situation kind of developed. So, uh, you know, a period of time to be able to observe Mr. Neely, um, you know, swinging his arms at passengers, throwing his jacket down, um, making threats. Okay, when does that rise to a level of threatening? You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Smart journalism. 
fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. To Duncan Levin joining us. What about it, Duncan? Yeah, I think it, it, I think he's got a very good case that it rises to the level. And that is why um, I think the DA is taking its time and figuring out exactly how best to put this case together. Because the, the law itself in New York says that it's killing in self-defense is legally permitted when an attacker poses an imminent threat of physical harm or death. And so I think that... There, there is enough there that he has a defense to this because he'll say there was nowhere else I could go. There was nowhere to retreat. I was in a subway car and look, not, it wasn't just me. It was other people joining in too. Everyone there thought there was an imminent threat that he was going to kill us all. So that, that is the case and that is his defense. And so, um, you know, it's going to require eyewitness testimony and there, believe me, they're going to have everyone in that car, um, testifying, um, one way or the other about, whether there was a threat of harm. Back to Jane and Fisher joining us, investigative reporter with the New York Daily News. Jane, and again, thank you for being with us. What are the other passengers saying? Uh, you know, the other passengers, uh, you know, it said that he had uh, a gun, he had a knife. They said he was acting erratically. They said he was throwing garbage. Uh, you know, one of the passengers said that he had thrown his Michael Jackson uh, jacket on the ground. You know, he, uh, you know, he said that, you know, he was hungry, he needed food, he, that he was ready to die. Um, and that was, uh, that is all that we really under- understand about what he said on the train and what he did. That, so far, is not rising in my mind. So far, is not rising to a level of a dangerous threat. But on the other hand, guys, we're not on the subway We don't know if he was menacing toward women or moms or children. We have no idea what happened. And I do know, isn't this correct to Jamin Fisher, that one of the passengers actually stepped forward and thanked Penny? Uh, There are some reports that uh, a a woman that was on the train had wanted to thank him uh, for his action that that, uh, I not confirm that myself, but uh, I had read that report. We do know that police, for some reason, are not giving the substantiation that is that will be required in this case, the details leading up to the chokehold. I'm curious what you make of that, Wilbur Chapman, uh, former commissioner, former deputy commissioner, that people on the train actually thanked Neely. Well, that's a distinct possibility because the level of crime on the subway has certainly risen. And with that, uh, uh, you would have the 
rise in fear of passengers who are on the subway and a concern about the fact that there are large numbers of homeless and mentally unstable people who use the subways because they don't use the, sh- the shelters. As far as the police statement is, is concerned, uh, it's incumbent upon all responding police to take in-depth statements to be submitted as part of the investigation uh, to determine uh, is there culpability on the part of Mr. Penny or exactly, more, more importantly, exactly what happened, what were the circumstances. There are reports of knives and guns were any found and what made those individuals who thought there were there were weapons involved or that, that Mr. Neely had weapons, uh, what made them think that? And does that, does that lead to a factual accounting of what they observed or just an emotional reaction because of the fear that's caused by the environment, being trapped in the subway train with someone who you know is unpredictable or you assume is unpredictable in their behavior. That's really important, the fact that you just said unpredictable, unstable, because when someone begins to act erratically, you fear the worst, especially when you're protecting your children. You don't know what they're going to do next. And that fear factor, the, the reality that it is unpredictable and the person is unstable, they can do anything. I'm, I'm still hung up and I, on the fact that two other men helped subdue Neely. They weren't trying to drag Penny off. Uh, for instance, we see in other cases where the crowd is saying, stop, he's choking, he can't breathe, get off him. In this case, people are actually thanking Neely and helping him. So, uh, helping Penny. I'm, I'm trying to sort out the facts and we're not getting them. And that's further clouded by the fact that there was no grand jury proceeding. The prosecutor skipped what many people, including myself, consider to be a very important part of justice. Take a listen to our cut 24 our friends at The Five. Well, we were told that uh, there was going to be a grand jury presentation and that that would take some time and it was going to be a very kind of a deliberate process. Uh, It was not going to be rushed. Then suddenly uh, we got a a call um, one night before uh, Danny was asked to surrender and said he's got to surrender to the police department tomorrow. So at that point we're what do you mean tomorrow? This was going to be a long process. Suddenly it's tomorrow. So everything was rushed. No grand jury proceeding. It was a hastily drawn indictment. That said, there are formal charges and it unfolds from there. Take a listen to our friends in our Cut 13 CBS 2. Just as expected, Daniel Penny turning himself in to police here at the 5th Precinct. Now he was charged with a second degree manslaughter charge. District Attorney Alvin Bragg announcing that yesterday. Now take a look. This is video of Penny walking inside of the precinct. He went in, he came back out, headed to the Manhattan Criminal Court where bail will be decided if it will be set or not. Now his attorney says Penny turning himself in voluntarily. And a Attorney for Daniel Penny, the man charged with second-degree manslaughter in the subway death of Jordan Neely, maintained his client's innocence after he turned himself in at the NYPD's 5th Precinct Friday morning. He's dealing with the situation, like I said, with the sort of integrity and honor uh, that is characteristic of who he is, characteristic of his honorable service in the United States Marine Corps. The 24-year-old Long Island veteran walked out in handcuffs just over two hours later and was arraigned at the Manhattan Criminal Courthouse. He was released on $100,000 bail.
What is the truth? Even amongst us experts here, we can't come to a consensus because we don't know the facts. But I can tell you this. Self-defense, if proven at trial, is a complete defense, as is defense of a third party, defense of another. We wait as justice unfolds. Goodbye, friend. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 